Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. David Alt, Jack Ward, draw! Actually, I'm, I'm really more of an audio artist. <laughs> and this is the Sonic Society, the world's largest, longest-running showcase of modern audio drama. Well, dang it. <laughs> Bing! And this... Oh, I'm isolating that are... sound effect. You know I'm going to use that at some point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this is a David Alt ricochet no. shot. There we go. But <laughs> ding <laughs> And this October week, our feature has Henrik Johansson. Henrik is a drunkard, a coward and a thief, but enough about his positive points, a nameless wanderer in search of food and shelter. Additionally, he is none of those things, nor is his real name Henrik Johansson, but an alias he assumes in hope of finding the little town of Rainbow. And his search begins right here on the Sonic Society. Hello everyone, this is Vincent John, the creator of Little Town of Rainbow. I just want to say thank you for listening, but before we get into our next episode, I wanted to highlight a podcast that's really near and dear to my heart, The Outside Tapes. The Outside Tapes is produced by a team in the land of Ire, which I guess some people call Ireland? I don't know, I've never heard of it, might be a Nordic town. But The Outside Tapes really is an excellent, spooky audio drama that you could really sink your teeth into. It's a narrative horror podcast following the investigations of journalist Alfie Graves into a series of unusual events. I'll tell you the truth. By the first episode, within the first five minutes, you'll be invested. You'll be hooked on the show. It really is that good. New episodes are released every second Sunday. And honestly, I can't recommend the show enough. You'll really enjoy it. So please take a listen to the outside tapes. And in fact, here is a trailer before we begin our episode. Thanks and bye. Before adding anything else at all, I would like to make it clear to whoever I end up sending these things to that I am not a sensationalist or a gullible fool. I do not believe in ghosts, nor do I think demonic possessions are real. 
I believe all of this to be some kind of extravagant prank, perhaps, or God knows a cult. But there is something here, and I know that. Begin reading. That clip was from The Outside Tapes, an independent Irish audio drama by Evan Daly and Liam Brett. We release every second Sunday on Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram and Tumblr at Outside Tapes Podcast for more information and updates. Thanks, and enjoy this podcast. The Little Town of Rainbow Written by Vincent John and performed by Luke Welland, Natalie Lewis and Cornelius Perry Jr. Ramsey's silver hairs had rapidly departed from his head within the last year, and the generous scar above his right cheekbone, which he received in adolescence, appeared almost invisible now if not trained to look for it. Nevertheless, though he was considered old and a man of slender build, when speaking, his presence had the subtle ability of appearing to swell. Something in the way he carried himself appeared greater and broader than the person across from him. Which is why his daughter Rosalind went through tremendous efforts in keeping interactions with her father at a minimum. But tonight, Ramsay would no longer tolerate that frequent disappearing act in which his daughter was so keen, not while a trespasser breathed air in their house. Ascending the stairs leading to Rosalind's room, Ramsey smelt the usual stale odor of too much tobacco, opium, and melancholia. <sighs> she already begun, he muttered to himself. To live with one's own child for an extended duration often results in either parents or offspring resenting one another. For Ramsey and Rosalind, they were far past an expiration date. Without notice, he bars the door open. Why do you care if this man dies, child? He demanded. You know my obligation is to preserve this town and its people. That includes you. Are you too much of a fool to understand this? Rosalind did not flinch but continued to stare into her vanity mirror while removing her makeup. I assumed that is why we have a sheriff. A sheriff is here today and gone tomorrow. The assembly gave me this gift of seeing the town protected at all cost, and I will not contradict their wishes for me. We will conclude that this man is a danger and have him expired at first sunlight. You know for a fact Henrik did not kill Jimmy. Henrik. Ramsay sighed as he sat on the French provincial chair he gave Rosalind as a gift on her eighth birthday. For further effect, he placed his head into his hands. Oh, foolish, foolish girl. But somebody did kill Jimmy Wilson. Jimmy was 300 yards down the mine and not an easy target. Now a stranger wanders into our borders? You know of the dangers, 
We are all tied together on a loose string, a string pleading to be pulled apart. Father, I do not believe a coward like the man tied to our chair is strong enough to pull apart feathers, let alone strings, Rosalind said with a modest grin. Beasts come in all shapes and forms. Maybe it is not actual dark spirits and evil creatures that roam our lands, murdering our people. Maybe it's human men, like the one tied to our chair. I think it was foolish leaving him here. He is a scout, collecting information to pass on to someone else, someone who is worse and wishes us harm. Do you see my meaning now, child? I understand, Father. I pity him nonetheless. We never killed a man on Christmas. And I still find it odd, the circumstances of his delivery here. Did you not say they discovered him face down on the verge of death? Ramsay stood up, revealing the menacing stature he kept for occasions such as this. Yes. Yes, I did, oh dear child. But are you naive enough to believe scouts cannot get lost and turned around in these parts? I will not be made a fool in the eyes of my people, Ramsay said, feeling a sliver of satisfaction that the conversation was at an end. However, Rosalind would not let the debate finish there. Standing to meet her father's view and counter his presence with her own, she stood in the doorway blocking his exit. For in this battle of words, life and death, Rosalind was indeed Ramsay's opponent of the night. After years that spiraled into decades searching for the weakness in her father's armor, Rosalind at last discovered it. Then consider, Father, the reaction our noble town will give you for not only turning away a wanderer in the desert, but killing him without cause. Are we not Rainbow, the town of sins forgiven? Our past transgressions washed away. Why are we in assembly if we do not obey what the Founders set out forth for us? I'd imagine townsfolk might identify it problematic. You have grown such a taste for killing. Might not it produce fear in the people's spirits they could be next? Without cause. Without justification. Rainbow means mercy, after all, Father. Just a glimmer of vulnerability was all that Ramsay had shown. And within a moment, the crack in the armor had become whole again. And the cold, hard steel that was his face grinned back at his child for a worthy adversary his only offspring turned out to be. Oh, it's much more simple than that, girl. I'll just have my men say he killed that fool, Jim, and they will do the deed themselves. I see, said Rosalind, matching her father's polite smile. Then I'd tell the assembly in the town you lied. The only way to stop me from doing so would be to kill me, I presume. The words sunk in, though Ramsay would not allow his emotions to be shown twice and instead let out a healthy laugh, saying, I will not kill you, daughter of mine. 
it would bring you too much satisfaction. He pushed past Rosalind and left the room. She heard the door slam leading to his quarters and exhaled with fits of laughter. (laughs) How simple it was to frighten him. All it took were a few words in eye contact. (laughs) She said, twirling around the room like a child. She poured herself a good amount of peyote tea before taking a couple of swids of laudanum, which gave the effect she wanted. A lightness of foot, a weightless feeling of drifting away. A little dizzy and slightly drunk, she fell upon her bed with a smash. Nevertheless, she knew herself, and what would arise next and began fidgeting in hopes of delaying the familiar sense of dread that came after a moment of bliss. Lupine was a decent substitute for life not worth living, but even at its height, which was serenity at its peak, after you climbed the top, however, there was nowhere to go but down. And at that... It was a wicked device, for the more you partook, the less its effects of beatitude fully entered the soul. For minutes, she fought to find a satisfactory place to rest. Her pillow felt a little meaner than usual, as if the inanimate object had a will of its own and slight against her. She found none, but found instead her hopefulness lost a bit of its bluster. This was her father, after all. A shrewd old bastard, not prone to losing. Tonight is not the night to dwell on the past, she struggled to remind herself. But like a storm in the desert, Rosalind's thoughts churned with an uncontrolled vitality. Hour upon hour was spent forcing her body to calm and lungs to breathe. Utterly spoiling her small moment of joy. Ramsey could not sleep and wouldn't until the new year. Many events had cultivated these past 24 hours, and it reasoned inconceivable for it all to be a coincidence. He knew in his heart that it wasn't. Ramsey put on his heavy coat and left the manor, needing to allow his mind to wander and find conclusions that the house made impossible to find. Not because of the peculiar man tied to a chair, but his daughter's growing intelligence. She was a woman now, and Ramsey knew she was sharper than he, which did not upset him as much as it scared him. Her presence in the home grew too large these past two years. He needed air and the quietness of a snowfall to set him true. His daughter was against him, which was bound to happen at one point, but she was still his sole offspring, and everything he had accomplished shall ultimately be hers. Though why was she desperate not to have that man Henry killed when she had seen her father kill countless men before? 
It left only two possibilities, he pondered, both of which were not desirable on any account. Ramsey pushed the worries out of his head. Now was not the time to be studying his daughter. Ultimately, she had to be dealt with, and preferably soon. But the most pressing manner was the fact that for the first time in eight years, Rainbow had a new person seeing its grounds and knowing its whereabouts. It is the things we seldom worry about that end up doing the most destruction. And this man, Henrik, could only bring the one thing destined for him. An end. Ramsey wandered through town as first sunlight made its way like a spear across the night sky. It was a magnificent sight, and for a moment Ramsey gathered all his attention to the spear in the sky. He regarded the majestic shape and read its formation, as one would observe the reading of tea leaves. He was hoping that it was a divine answer, but the fragile few minutes of swirling imaginary that Ramsey had concocted was lost, for he saw a boy staring back at him. His name was Michael, and he was about seventeen. Ramsey knew the boy's parents, for they worshipped together at the same altar. He did not know much of the child besides not liking him very much. As Michael stood there gaping at Ramsey in a constant gaze of apathetic despondency, it dawned on the town's mayor that even though it was his duty to protect his people, it was more significant to preserve them from themselves. And in this state, they were much too ignorant to carry on in a meaningful manner without heaping destruction upon their heads. For this town's promise to succeed, there had to be modifications. Hollowed skulls and dim-witted minds were no good anymore. Ramsey needed a thick, firm stock with just enough wits to be of service. What good are people and town without growth? Ramsey walked over to Michael and with a flash, as quick as lightning and a sound equally thunderous, Ramsey struck the boy with an open fist. Michael immediately fell to the ground as blood oozed from his ear. Ramsey pulled out a small knife from his waistcoat and pointed it directly to Michael's throat. Go home, Michael, and never look at an elder again, you ignorant son of a bitch. As would anyone with half a mind, Michael raced up to his feet and fled from the sight. Hmm, this could be a test of sorts, Ramsey mused, as his mind floated back to the idea of producing something greater from his people than previously expected. They will make this man, this stranger, a home here. We will be his friends, his family, his cohorts and confidants. We shall make him anew. He shall live on our land and bask in its general splendor. And then, when the moment is consummately pure and splendid, we shall kill him and burn his remains as a gift to the altar. Ramsey said aloud, 
without fear of who might hear his nonsensical ramblings of early day. Upon entering his home, Ramsay at once heard the ongoing sounds of Henrik crying. It was always the weak that were bound to do the strong personal bidding. A rush of relief came straight to Ramsay's core, and he felt grateful for this man appearing at the town's gate. It was a blessing. Too long did Ramsay and Rainbow's people live without living, stuck in its borders awaiting orders. If Ramsay were correct, this could be an opportunity for freedom, for fear is the greatest adversary of a fulfilled life. The underground lake fervently glistened with its usual green hues, casting thousands of shimmering diamonds across the cave. Looking down into the glowing lagoon, Rosalind smiled at her reflection. It had been years since she visited the undisclosed basin beneath City Hall, and for the first time she could remember, she saw her own image in the waters. As a child, she would often frequent the place, for it softened the swirling cries and voices in her mind. But oftener in such matters, its reprieve was brief, and as time went on, Rosalind found it more of a burden to visit the place just for a few moments of clemency. But now she found herself here again, though she didn't understand why, nor made any attempt to do so. Before her mind could comprehend cold liquids against her feet and legs and then hips, Rosalind peered down, seeing she was already halfway submerged. Breathing didn't feel so burdensome, and with ease she could fill her chest with life-giving oxygen. Now or never, she murmured, and then immediately immersed her entire body into the pool. Looking up through the water, Rosalind saw a million different stars glowing upon the cave walls. She imagined the flickering lights of water dancing upon rock turning into two cosmic beings, two females of different ages, and one a mere child. The two beings danced and swayed and twirled until Rosalind ran out of oxygen and re-emerged from the waters. It's okay. All things must... It's okay. It's okay. It's all okay. This has been The Little Town of Rainbow. New episodes are released weekly and is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like The Little Town of Rainbow, please share with your friends. It helps independent creators to reach an audience and continue to tell stories for free. Thank you. Chapter 3 The General Acceptance of the Generous Assembly Children of the Moon The difference between dreams and reality are as follows. When you sleep, you are at the mercy of your own mind. You, the owner of its creation, produce any thought, right or wrong, cheerful or wicked. 
But when awake, you're at the mercy of thoughts produced by men. Though reality may begin with the best of intentions, like a dream, it can rapidly fade into a nightmare. And a nightmare given to you by another is far worse than any terrifying image your mind could ever muster. I slept enough to identify the distinction. The Little Town of Rainbow Written by Vincent John and performed by Luke Welland, Natalie Lewis and Cornelius Perry Jr. As the sun began to rise, casting rose-colored sunbeams across the sky, two men with unremarkable faces and emotionless expressions led me through the quiet town of Rainbow. In our trail of wherever they were leading me, I did not see a single person in the streets, let alone through the windows of their houses. Every curtain was drawn shut which I found odd, it being Christmas Day and all. Perhaps the townspeople and their kin saw me as some sort of wicked creature that their bare eyes could not handle such a frightening sight as myself. Even still, both my tour leaders stood quiet and vigilant even though I was chained at hands and feet, barefoot in the snow, with absolutely no chance of escape. Either from paranoia or insanity, I'm sure a combination of both, nine-foot walls enclosed the entire town as guards carrying rifles stood in towers at all four corners. Terrible as the present circumstances were, the thought had occurred this was not the worst thing to happen that morning. Earlier in the day, An old woman, who didn't mutter a sound, swiftly yet violently stripped me of my clothes. For good measure, every now and then she would look at me with a mixture of repulsion and disdain, as if I were a wayward child of hers, recently come home after years of vile living. I didn't have the energy to worry what she thought, however because my head pounded and ears still burned from the night prior. Nonetheless, I did ask, more like croaked for a cup of water. When receiving none, I asked again, though to no avail. The frail woman looked right through me as if dressing a corpse. From irritation of being ignored, words just slipped off my tongue. By the looks of it, I do not know who's closer to death, me or you. In retaliation, she caressed my left hand by placing it into her own, looked me in the eyes, smiled, and then broke my index finger with the ease of a child snapping a twig. I made a valiant effort not to release any screams, but such gallantry hardly lasted more than a few seconds. 
I allowed myself a good, hearty scream filled with pain and terror. After the moment passed, I decided to keep those urges to myself. The old lady then gave me a silk maroon robe, obviously the exact thing one wants in the numbing chill of desert snow. The morning sky now flaunted a vivid blue, which descended in such a way that made this entire peculiar town radiant. Each house and building I passed shined brilliantly with fresh coats of white paint. If not for the copper-colored soil peppered about where snow failed to reach, from a distance you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between earth and town. Be that as it may, I did notice the town was devoid of a bank, a general store, saloon, and a church. Instead, the streets merely aligned with houses and obscure square buildings, the latter of which lacked any windows. Maybe if I weren't shivering so bad that my teeth felt they'd fall out, and maybe if I weren't chained at hand and feet, I would have found this odd. But no, I was prepared for this, prepared for the little town of Rainbow, and what would come next. Yet what I'd find excellent was that they weren't prepared for me, Excluding Rosalind, of course. She spent a lifetime readying herself for the upcoming events. The fellow to my left, noticing the shivering and chattering of teeth, offered his coat. Greatly wishing to decline the apathetic gesture of goodwill, I glared at him with a menacing look of contempt, as if that would have given me even a moment of solace. A minute later, I accepted the stupid jacket. Subsequently, he bowed and grinned, which genuinely terrified me, for both men now had the demeanor of fulfilling a task of sorts, a seemingly serious one. Every couple of yards, they glanced at each other, as if convinced a noble and justified deed they were carrying out. A nasty thought crept in, since he offered me a coat, and since they appear terribly pleased with themselves, and I'm wearing a robe the color of blood. Straight to the gallows were these men's marching orders for me. I sobbed, unabashedly crying big broad tears of despair. Now it was the other guy's turn to display virtue, and I received a slight pat on the back. These pompous, ignorant-looking idiots will hang me, and yet awaited a grateful receipt. I turned and spit in his face, which achieved little, for he didn't even flinch. After my feeble attempts of defiance, the only sound heard was our footsteps in the snow. In life... You will witness an equal share of horrible, no good, disgustingly unforgettable events. And over time, one grows accustomed to the atrocities of this world. But none are so heinous as death by hanging. To view a human's last moments, an anxious struggle with an unavoidable fate, 
eyes darting back and forth, trying to find comfort in the crowd. Anyone who might ease their suffering with a kind smile or a simple nod of understanding and sympathy. Only to find distant, empty eyes staring back at them is truly, and without doubt, humanity at its absolute most abominable. I find it ridiculous how us men of faith worship our Lord who was crucified, then establish laws making such crimes as poaching punishable by death to the very people he came to save. While lawmakers and leaders lament that this is an evil age, but an age will forever mirror its leaders, not its people, for better and often much worse. The man to whom I spit materialized once again, not happy enough to leave me alone in thought during my final minutes on earth, and spoke in a voice strikingly flat. Sir, it forgives you. I know it was an unclean spirit that made you do so, but soon you will be anew. It forgives you. Mouth agape. I could offer nothing more than a slight acknowledgement in his direction. He smiled back, not acknowledging the effect his haunting had on me. That strange manner of voice was boiled into my mind, forever to stay there. Something so eloquent deserved to be remembered. Being mesmerized, I didn't realize my body came to a stop as we were at a juncture. A grandiose construction towered in front of us, concrete steps leading to an extensive building comparable with the surviving Greek theaters. Six pillars of marble, accented with gold, stood proud before rainbow-painted doors. Have you ever faced an object and realized you could never move backwards? There is no backtracking. There are no longer times of old. No matter what you did or where you'd go, your life would be counted as two contrasting conjunctions, before and after the event, the encounter, the incident, the ordeal, the experience. I knew then that my former skin would shed, to be replaced by something peculiar and different. Nothing worse in this world than people seeing themselves as enlightened, for it covers all matters of sin, doesn't it? On the steps an ancient and frail man who looked made of clay extended his hand, saying, Hello, son. My name is Hector. I am one of the elders here. It is a pleasure to meet you. Turning to my guardians, he spoke less friendly. No need for the cuffs, you damn fools. Let's take them off, shall we? Hector left his hand for me to shake, but I could not muster the effort of pretending he didn't terrify me. I always hated knowing what will take place before it does. If I were of more intelligent mind, I would use that ability to quickly gather information to understand the situation before me, and make something good. Thinking about it now, however, I realized that would only work if I knew less of the situation and didn't fully understand the meaninglessness of it all. Ignorance is indeed bliss, I suppose. 
The residue of Hector's genteel grin left traces around his mouth, which magnified his ghostly appearance. All the same, his spurious posture of goodwill would continue as I was awarded a thin pat on the back. These people had a peculiar regard for what brought comfort to others. Apparently, caressing backs was one. The two wardens quickly undid my chains, which again seemed all too pleasing, as if performing a show of sorts, and with each growing moment, fear crept in that the cracks of their performance would manifest until the rouse was up. The rouse was up, I reckoned, because after setting me free, the two men clapped and cheered. One of them even whistled. Hector gave a slight bow and opened the two large rainbow doors that led to the building. A joyful noise filled the halls with echoes of men and women celebrating. The place could easily have been mistaken for a house of worship. Beautiful pieces of art hung high in the rafters, and at the end of the long room stood an altar made entirely of gold. Its patrons grew greater as more people filled the room upon my arrival while chanting in a language I've never heard before. It might have been Latin, if Latin was marred with grisly sounds and spoken nonsensical. At the altar, a man with silver hair dressed in a black robe, with rainbow patches on each shoulder, chanted some cryptic phrases while kneeling. The smell of incense was heavy and made a cloud around the room. The strong aromas and boisterous songs of praises made me queasy. I took a step forward, making sure to stumble and then proceeded to fall into one of the pews. For good measure, I put on a show of dazed confusion. A few people helped me to my feet, and one person said, This man is already being made clean. The spirits are fleeing from him. Posing as an ignoramus, I fervently nodded. I smelt these smells before and heard similar songs chanted. I knew what was expected of me. My body began to shake, and my fingers twitched as I made my way to the altar, giving them the present every heathen desires most, their righteous holiness. Even if a piece of their minds didn't believe me, there would always be a small part saying to themselves, if we don't believe him, we don't fully believe our teachings. I've been around enough heretics to know their failings, obedience to their charlatan maid. Fake doctrine is near the top. And truthfully, there was a part of me that shook on the inside. I honestly thought these people were going to kill me. But I saw in that moment they wished to save me, which, for what it's worth, was nice of them. The stranger the convulsions I gave, the happier the faces looked back at me. With every twitch, their voices grew louder. At the pinnacle of the lustrous chanting, the silver-haired man at the altar turned around and smiled. The noise from the pews grew quiet, and he spoke in a delicate voice I recognized from the night before. Henrik, you are forgiven, as all members of Rainbow are forgiven. Come and set your spirit free. Some placed their hands on me as if I were an idol. Some shouted, You are free! And, You are now clean, Brother Henrik! The old mare and I stared at one another, while the others continued in otherworldly hymns. Everyone had a cheerful spirit about them, 
besides him. Like his daughter the night prior, he looked firmly upon me as a man would look upon a vile, unpleasant thing. I looked to the floor, giving him his due of respect. Then he pushed me to my knees and placed his hands on my head. Upon your head, now a curse that can only be undone by the most illuminated one. If he sees it fitting, your curse shall end after one month's time, and you shall receive a blessing, but only if he deems it so. With the end of his speech, the congregation clapped. I never heard of a curse turning into a blessing. This must be some newer ideology. The desert seems to do certain things to lunatics and the already crazy. Maybe it is the constant struggle to survive. The grotesque amount of suffering witnessed on a daily basis from animals and humans alike that makes them gravitate to further torment and strife as a pleasurable experience. And though I did not believe in curses, especially done by the feeble-minded, I knew then I was forevermore these people's prisoner. No matter where I moved or what I might accomplish, there was no circumstance of survival after this outcome. It's been hard in America It's been tough feeling sad It's been hard in America I never thought it'd get so bad I wish that I had a big jet plane Fly the tears away This has been The Little Town of Rainbow. New episodes are released weekly and is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like The Little Town of Rainbow, please share with your friends. It helps independent creators to reach an audience and continue to tell stories for free. Thank you. 
And that's this week's show. Please check the show notes and links for the little town of Rainbow on sonicsociety.org. Please join David and I next week as we return with a wild production. Until Please, Mr. Then... Ward, Mr. Ward, <laughs> yes. Mr. Ward, you're an English teacher, aren't you? That's right. So um, it should be David and me. I know. You, I, because... I saw that beforehand. Here's the thing. I learned English. Because I didn't. We didn't learn grammar, and I'm learning this as I'm taking my master's course. That there's so <laughs> yeah. much, but shouldn't it be David and I? Because that's the subject, right? David and no, I are no, the subject. No, no, we they are the subject because you join you join uh, an object. You don't join a subject. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, so they're the the unnamed people are the ones that you are the you subject. you wouldn't say please join we. Ah, you'd say please join us. Gotcha. So that's the object rather than Fair the subject. Enough. Please join David and me next week as we return with a wild production. Until then, I'm Jack Ward. And I'm Professor of English David Alt. Have a wild day yourself. The Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. In a world plagued by darkness and unexplainable phenomena that make humanity fear the unknown, a band of heroes will rise up to stop- Sorry to interrupt you there, dramatic announcer guy, but uh, I think you might be advertising the wrong story here. I beg your pardon? Now don't get me wrong, the whole brooding intensity thing is super cool. I just don't think it's really true to our brand, you know? Uh, look, I don't know how you got in here, but all I was told was that I was promoting a podcast about a supernatural investigation agency dedicated to eliminating the eldritch horrors that aim to destroy this world and all life as we know it. Yeah, I wouldn't say we've really hit world-destroying levels of scary yet. We're really more local right now, but man, does our town have a lot of problems? I mean, we've got ghosts, witches, like at least five different kinds of giant monster. Well, there then, see? Maybe the threat isn't as wide-reaching as I led on, but it still requires a team of highly skilled and powerful agents, from a tough, capable leader with a dark and mysterious past, to ruthless, otherworldly creatures with a taste for blood Whoa and- Whoa there, buddy! Now I know you've got your facts wrong. I mean, first of all, you clearly haven't met the people in charge of this operation if you think any of them are capable. I don't quite- And as for the ruthless, otherworldly creatures bit, our in-house vampire is the sweetest lady I know, so shut up! But- can I at least get to the part about the abominable fiend from hell? Psh, if you think he's abominable now, you should see him first thing in the morning. I'm telling you, the other day, I think he came this close to saying an actual swear word. H- how is that you know, so- I don't know why you're splitting hairs here. Since you'd be crazy to call any of us qualified or, come to think of it, functional people. Hey, just who do you think you are?
Somebody who's better at doing your job, for starters. That's it. I'm out of here. Do your own promotional material for all I care. <laughs> I thought he'd never leave. So to recap here, if you want to hear a story about spooky but only kind of threatening myths and monsters and the totally incompetent people who deal with them, check out Heinous Investigations coming March 10th, 2021 and available wherever you stream your podcasts. Did we get that? I think we got it. That's a wrap! In this time of COVID-19, CDC asks you keep your hands clean. Don't congregate and kindly shelter in place. Also wash your hands and don't touch your face. So use soap and water and grab a clean towel. And don't be a Jonah. Prevent spread of Corona by washing your hands. Olay! This was a public service announcement from the Mutual Audio Network.